Grace and peace to you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, one of the things I love about reading from the lectionary is that you have a systematic series of readings that you go through throughout the church year. And over three years, you're supposed to go through the entire, uh, all the scriptures um, in at least a, a very broad way. One of the difficulties, though, particularly in the Pentecost season, is sometimes you'll come across a set of readings that don't really seem to correspond very well to each other. They're not themed to any one particular thing. Uh, Judith and I uh, get together often during the, we've, we've gotten together often during the season of Pentecost, looked at the uh, scripture readings and then tried to choose music and it's been, whoa, <laughs> there's no uh, consistent theme here. So it can be a little difficult. Fortunately, though, this week as I went through the scripture readings, I began to see themes that build on one another. And those are really the best weeks that you can have, where you see something that you don't maybe just have one theme through all the scriptures, but you see three things or or two things that you can really, really build one on top of the other. And what I saw in particular in this week's readings uh, from the Old Testament, we learn about the importance of faithfulness toward God, what it means to be a people of God. In this week's epistle reading, we learn what it means to be supportive of one another, how to become a holy people, a holy society of God. And finally, in the gospel lesson this week, we learn that once we've got faithfulness, once we have that supportive community where we can move forward in the faith, we also have a fruitful community, one where we're inviting other people in and encouraging other people in their walk of faith. It's those three qualities, faithfulness, supportiveness, and fruitfulness, that I really want to focus on today. Um, And I hope that what we'll begin to recognize is that these aren't just things that we do individually. These are things that we should be doing as a congregation. It's who we should become as a congregation and, that, and in that way, we're taking the gospel message outside the church, uh, and we're also being strongly connected and deeply rooted inside the church. Well, to start with fruitfulness, or faithfulness, pardon me, I, I'm on a slight diversion in my seminary studies right now, probably not a good thing at this time of year, but uh, I'm reading a book by Soren Kierkegaard called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. And Kierkegaard's point in this book is that if you want to think of the life of faith as moving from immaturity to maturity, the immature Christian has a very wide faith, and it's not properly focused a lot of times. There are diversions that can creep into that person's life of faith, and they follow these little rabbit trails down things that don't actually orient them toward the end of the Christian life, the telos, the, 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 the end goal of what the Christian ethic and the Christian life is. The mature Christian is the person who's able to observe those things that get in the way of fruitfulness or faithfulness. They're able to whittle down their priorities and say, this, my faith in God, is the one thing that gives life meaning. So really what it is, is it's a focus It's taking the Christian life, whittling away all those things that don't feed your spirituality or detract from your spirituality, and putting your focus properly where it should be, on God. This is really our Old Testament lesson today. Um, You know, too often, the Israelites get knocked off course. And it's, it's sometimes difficult to preach from the lectionary in the Old Testament simply because the themes are so consistent. You know, Israel is not faithful. 
the Lord gives them over to whatever. They call out to the Lord and ask for salvation. The Lord is sure to deliver them. It's this consistent theme. And so sometimes it's difficult to find something new to speak about in relation to the nation of Israel. Well, we find this again today that Israel has not been faithful as a result of that lack of faithfulness, God removes his, uh, his hand and he gives them over to captives. They become slaves uh, to a nearby people. This is a good analogy for really the Christian life. If your heart desires something other than God, and a lot of times we won't say that with our words. We'll just say it with our actions. The way that we put our time, the way we use our time, the way we spend our money, uh, the things that we say, the, 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 the outworkings of our faith. We might mouth the right words about faith. But very often our lives don't reflect our desire to live that faith. And as we give ourselves over to those things that deflect us from faith, that steer us on the wrong path, there comes a point where God says, I'm going to let you have that. I'm going to give you over to that. And God's removing his hand and allowing you the desire of your heart and the full weight of that desire, that's enslavement. What you have done at that point is you've made something more important than God and it has become an idol in your life. And so really what this is, what it was for the Israelites in today's Old Testament lesson is it's a show of God's love. Because you don't love God as you should love God. It's God allowing you what you want so that you can again refocus and see what's most important in life, and that is that relationship with God. Well, there's good news. Today's Old Testament lesson shows us that there is hope, even for the person who has fallen away who has redirected their attention from God and needs to be brought back into proper order with God. When the Israelites call out to God, when we call out to God in those points where we're not spiritually oriented, properly oriented, and I've had those times too. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me too. When we have those times when God gives us over to our sin, when we call on God, he's sure to deliver us. He pulls us out. He reorients us spiritually, regenerates us, gives us the spirit again, and we are then empowered to move on in lives of holiness. The question I think I have, I have had, and the question I think most of us have, it's not so much whether this is a possibility. We recognize that God loves us and that probably much like you as a mother or father, if you have children, when your children make a mistake... You're quick to welcome them back in. You're quick to give them grace where they need grace. Well, God's no different. I don't think most of us struggle with that. I think what we struggle with is the focus, getting back to Kierkegaard's point, that purity of heart is to will one thing. How do we keep our mind, our thoughts focused, our orientation, our spiritual orientation focused on that one thing, that one thing? Well, this leads to our second point. One of the most important functions of the church body is to support each other in our spiritual walk. Paul points out that as disciples, we are a people committed to light. We have left the darkness. We no longer have any desire for that. The problem 
is life gets hard. <laughs> Particularly when you're a Christian, life gets hard. People who preach that life gets easier or that life is somehow uh, uh, more enjoyable, I, that, maybe that's not the right word, but if you've ever had the idea or the thought that life should somehow be easier because you're a Christian, that's just not the Christian faith. And there's a reason for that. It's because as you grow more holy, you become more aware of the sin. You become more aware of your shortcomings. You become more aware of the world's shortcomings. You start to see yourself in relation to a holy God. You recognize how far you are from that, and it's painful. And it becomes very, very difficult. Well, that's where the church steps in. It's supposed to come alongside you. More specifically, we're supposed to come alongside each other and help each other along in the faith. Paul writes, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. And Martin Luther once said it this way, man does not live for himself alone in this mortal body in order to work on its account, but also for all men on earth. He lives only for others and not for himself. We as a body of believers are brought together by Jesus Christ for the purpose of living for one another. I am here to serve you and your spiritual needs. You're here to serve each other and me. And as a community of believers, we build each other up for the purpose of going back to that one thing of driving each other, helping each other toward that laser-like intensity so that we're not constantly going off on rabbit trails or spiritual diversions, but we have, like with laser beam intensity, we're focused on Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us individually and as a body of believers. This is going to seem like a rabbit trail, what I'm about to say. I'll get back on course, and I want you to hear where I'm going with this. You know, the, the blessing of Western-style democracy is that everybody gets a voice. It doesn't matter what you believe. You have the right to express that belief so long as it's not something that's intentionally set out to harm another individual. You can even use words, if you believe, uh, in harming another individual, so long as that doesn't translate to the action of harming other people. It's a good thing to allow people the freedom of their conscience to express the things that they believe, to have the freedom to believe those things. I believe that that is actually a very godly thing. And so I personally think Western-style democracy is a great gift but there's also a negative element that comes into Western-style democracy. It's this. It tends to level all forms of thought and living. And it does that because it places the individual so high that it says it doesn't matter what you believe or how you feel or what you do, that's valid. Well, what ends up happening is the values of the community are brought down several notches because the values of the individual are lifted up. And what ends up happening is we lose a sense of what it means to be a community. 
particularly in the church, this can be a dangerous thing. When we forget who we are as a community, when we forget that firstly, we are a community, that is our identity. It becomes a deadly spiritual thing because we take over the cultural norms of this sort of independence, this rugged individuality. And we start to think of that as an acceptable way to live our spirituality and it doesn't work. It can never work in the Christian life because everything that we're thrown, everything that's thrown at us, even our, our very nature itself, our sin nature, it doesn't point us toward holiness. It points us toward sin. It points us to another ethic altogether. The Christian life requires community. It requires us depending on each other, growing in each other so that we can become a people a people, not just individuals, a people who are even more deeply committed to living in God. You know, in January, we're going to be starting uh, our fellowship times on Wednesday night, and we're going to be starting our small groups as well. What we're going to be doing is we're going to have that time where we can enjoy a meal together, have that, that element of just social fun. But what I, you know what I'm really, really excited about for these is after we eat, we're going to break off and we're going to have a small formation group element. And we're doing it for this reason. You know, I can do all the preaching in the world, but I really can't reach you deeply. Not from the pulpit. That just doesn't happen here. Deep, fundamental life change doesn't happen on Sunday morning usually. At least not during the worship service. The worship service is designed to orient our attention toward our creator to the God who loves us. And that can have an element of change. But that element of change has to then be translated over into relationships and the rest of life. And so the reason that we're going to be having these small formation groups on Wednesday nights is this. You need need to be plugged into something spiritually where you have a group of believers that you can go to and say, I'm doing really well this week spiritually, or I'm doing really poorly this week spiritually. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in overcoming this sin in my life, or I am not having success with this sin in my life. I need support. I need the help of other people. Or maybe my kids are driving me absolutely crazy and I don't know how to deal with this and it's really affecting my relationship with God and my family. We need that. We can't just come on Sunday morning and expect that we're going to get the entire spiritual meal that we're going to have for the week. We need brothers and sisters who come along together with us, sharing the joys, sharing the things that hurt, sharing the things that the successes and the things that we need help with. We have to have that. That's what a church is. It's a community of people that come together and lift each other up, encourage each other, support each other, so that we can move forward again with that laser-like intensity toward Christian holiness, entire sanctification, being perfected in love. You cannot receive that by yourself. And so I want to encourage every person in here this morning, find a group, start a group, whatever you have to do, find a group of people in this church that you can trust, 
that you can relate to, that can be a Christian brother and sister or sister who helps you in your spiritual journey. Well, this brings us to our third point, fruitfulness. We've talked about faithfulness. We've talked about supporting one another. When we bring those two things together, and as we're in the process of it, it, it's never a you're done thing and then move on to the next step. It's a continual thing. You know, where there's faithfulness, there's going to be supportiveness, and you you just kind of marry it all together. But all along in this step is fruitfulness. And fruitfulness for us is taking what we're being given the cleansing, purifying, loving power of the Holy Spirit and sharing that with other people. You know, today's gospel lesson, it seems kind of hard. You know, the, the master gives these three slaves a portion of his resources and he calls on them to manage those resources. The first two people, they manage the resources well. They actually multiply the talents, the money. But the third person doesn't do anything with it. He just kind of, he, he buries it. He doesn't multiply it, doesn't even try to multiply it. And then he actually blames the master for not multiplying it. Well, if these are people that we're talking about, and they are, this is a parable. It's not meant to be actually about the money. It's actually meant to be an illustration of what it means to be a responsible steward of souls. Jesus Christ is the master. We are the slaves. We are the servants. We are the people who are actually given a resource and a responsibility on this earth. When Jesus left, when he ascended into heaven, and now as he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, you and I sit here on earth as stewards of a resource, that resource being the gospel message of Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world. If we bury that as this not-so-helpful steward buried what his master gave to him. We're essentially saying one of three things and maybe it's a combination of them. Either one, we don't value the gift that we've been given. Number two, we don't value other people. Or number three, we don't value the master. And really it's probably a combination of those three things. I feel like this is just about all I've preached about last week, this, this idea of fruitfulness, the last few weeks. It's because it's so fundamental to what we do. We've been commissioned. We have been given a commission to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. That seems intimidating to people sometimes, and here's why. We live in an evangelical culture where it's almost like we do the gospel to people. Do you know what I mean by that? That's how I've had it presented to me in the past, where somebody comes to me and they sort of stand in this spiritual high place and here I am down in my lowly uh, place and it's like, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And there are all these, these seven steps or whatever it may be to salvation and you, you sort of come at this person as a spiritual overlord. I've arrived, you haven't, and here's what we need to do in order to get you to the place you want to go. Well, here's the thing. Jesus didn't have a program. 
Jesus didn't have seven steps. Jesus didn't do the gospel to people. Jesus invited people to join him in doing the gospel. What does he say to Peter as he's on the boat? What does he say to all the apostles as he's approaching them? Does he say, do these seven things and then follow me? No, he says, get out of the boat. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. It's a journey that we go on together. If your idea of inviting people into the life of the church, into the life of the faith, is doing the gospel to them, then erase it from your mind. The gospel message is much better than that. You see, the gospel message is this. God's still working on you too. And however we present the gospel to other people, we have to present it with a sense of humility. And so instead of, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, it's, hey, look, I'm on this journey too. I don't have all the answers, but I'm with a group of people. We're working toward growing together in Christ. We're working toward allowing, to being more open to allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And as he does it, we see real fruit. I just want to invite you in that. If that's something that you're cool with, I want to invite you into that with us. Does repentance accompany that? Yeah, sure it does. But have you ever noticed that repentance always came after the person saw the truth? It wasn't something that just, uh, you know, sort of preceded the relationship. Repentance in the form of evangelism can't precede relationship. It implies that you're coming alongside a person. I often think of uh, Philip's example to the Ethiopian eunuch as the, the example of the gospel. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading the Old Testament scriptures and he, he, he's not making sense of it. Philip comes alongside him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how, how can I understand? How can I understand? I have nobody to teach me. We teach, but we also are taught. We're always growing. Our evangelism should reflect the reality that we know that we're growing. We have a gift for people. That gift is Jesus Christ. And that gift is sanctification through the Holy Spirit. And we do it together. Let me ask you a question. Do you know people who are spiritually scattered? Do you know people who just need somebody to come alongside them and say, join us? Just come with us. We're following the master. We're following Christ. We invite you to just follow with us, to come along, join us in this journey. Ultimately, what I'm talking about doing is ministry with people, not to people, not at people, with people. I'm calling on this church to do ministry with each other. I'm calling on us to do ministry with people in Corridon, not at people in Corridon. I'm talking about giving people hope by giving them a community, a community where they can know who they are because God is showing them who they are and who we are and who we're becoming. You know, it all comes back down to that narrowing of focus. Kierkegaard was right on this. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Kierkegaard's point is simply 
Jesus' point. What is Jesus' point? Christian faith is a simple thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's the Christian message. It's a simple message. But it's not an easy message. It's not easy because there are too many things that can get in the way of a vital spirituality. Let's make Cord and United Methodist Church a place where we support each other with that laser-like focus of willing one thing. That one thing, that one thing that I want this church to be focused on above all other things is living and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of the entire world. And it starts right outside that doorstep. Will you commit to that with me? Will you commit to forming communities within community here? To creating a church where we see each other as spurring each other, encouraging other, each other, praying for each other, and growing toward the purpose of sanctification, growing in purity and holiness and sharing that with other people. I hope you will. I think you will. I see it in you. So I'm excited. Let's take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's share it. Let's join with each other and let's join with the people in our entire area and let's take this place by fire. Let's pray. Lord, faithfulness, supportiveness, and fruitfulness. They're simple. It's a simple step-by-step set of instructions or a paradigm that you give to us to show us what it means to be faithful Christians. Father, in you, in your son, we get all the picture that we need about what it means to be a faithful community of people. As God, you sent your son to take on human flesh. And as God, your son lived a human life. And as God, your son died a human death. And all along, he stood alongside other humans, and he showed them what it means to be fully human. Father, I pray that you would give us a heart to will, to be willed toward that one thing, that purity of focus, that intensity of purpose. We know that you'll help us to do that as we become a community of believers who are passionately desirous of growing in you. And so help us to do that, Lord. Show us where we need to go and how we can best serve you and the community around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.